Welcome to Podcast Marketing Secrets, the place for entrepreneurs, coaches, and CEOs who are looking to grow their business with a podcast, become a key person of influence in their industry, and get their ideal clients to come to them, also known as Attraction Marketing. I'm your host, Al Morenton. My guest today is Roy Osing. Roy is a guy who took a startup internet company to a billion in sales. He is the only author, entrepreneur, and executive leader who delivers practical and proven, audacious, unheard of ways to produce high-performing businesses and successful careers. Roy is a former president, CMO, and entrepreneur with over 40 years of successful and unmatched executive leadership experience in every aspect of business. As president of a major data and internet company, his leadership and audacious, unheard of ways took the company from its early stage to $1 billion in annual sales. He is a blogger, content marketer, and mentor to young professionals. As an accomplished business advisor, he is the author of the no-nonsense book series, Be Different or Be Dead. With the audacious, unheard of ways, I took a startup to a billion in sales as his seventh book. Welcome to the show, Roy. Thank you very much, Al. I'm um, honored to be here. Awesome, awesome. So, um, so what is the um, idea behind the "Be Different or Be Dead" series? Yeah, so um, it's it's all about differentiation and the fact that um, uh, I've I've discovered that uh, that the world, quite frankly, needs a lot of help in this respect because my. My conclusion is that differentiation today is not well understood. It's not being practiced very well. And my observation, and we can talk about my solution to that as we go, but my, my observation is that um, the ultimate consequence of not being able to differentiate yourself in a way that your customers care about, and that's a key phrase, is that eventually as an organization, you die. Okay, you become irrelevant. And if you're not different in a way that's compelling, uh, that happens, and that's a that's a very extreme consequence. Hence, the use of the word "dead" at the end of it. I mean, I, I did it to you know for shock value, but but it's true. Organizations, companies die when they become irrelevant relative to their competition, and that's a horrific place to be in. I mean, from an employee point of view, a customer point of view, and a shareholder point of view. And so, I started writing about my solution and to, to all of this. Uh, several years ago, and I've been just banging away at it, trying to get people to realize that the old ways of academically thinking about differentiation simply don't work in the real world, and that there is a choice. And I figured it out, um, and it really helped me get to a billion. So there must be something to it, Al. That's awesome. That's beautiful. And I, I do want to get into solutions for differentiation and um, talk about your latest book. But one quick question. Um, if someone was like just just to come into your ecosphere and they heard about Be Different or Be Dead series, what would you recommend? Would you recommend them go all the way back and start with the first book or start with your re most recent book? I, I think start with the recent one. I mean, the I wrote my original one. It was called Be Different or Be Dead, Your Business Survival Guide. And I wrote that in 2009 when the economy was quite challenging. And so I tended to emphasize the survivability, which which really drives the same thing, right? I mean, be different or be dead is all about, okay, you're not going to end up very well if you can't be different. 
Yeah. And then since then, I wrote a number of ebooks, which basically did a deep dive on some of the subjects like leadership, like like marketing in the storm, like uh, career path planning and and so forth. And then I decided basically to, to sort of uplift all of that by writing my seventh. So you can dive into that. It's an updated version. Uh, I've learned a lot more about my stuff the more I work with my stuff. And so you can take a deep dive in my seventh and, and get caught up. And then you can go back if you'd like. I mean, I tried to write it in modular way. And it's a how-to book, Al. It is not a theoretical treatise on blue oceans. Okay, this is a how-to book, okay, written by somebody that got a billion in sales by doing some rather non-traditional, unheard of, audacious things uh, in, in, quite frankly, a business that really wasn't open to that. I mean, this was part of the monopoly era in, in telecom that I actually had this opportunity. And so, I mean, there were horrific, not horrific, but there were some pretty significant challenges in terms of culture and the way you did things and so forth that I had to battle against to try and move the business forward. And so it's a big learning lesson. And I just hope people have got the time to, to spend. I'm not prescribing it, Al. I'm just saying, hey, this is my experience. And if something excites you, if an idea excites you, great, take it and give it a try. Because if you do, I guarantee it will work because it worked for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So and uh, so is, is that what your new book is about? Well, it, yeah, it basically uh, talks to the, the practical and proven ways I took a startup to a billion in sales. And so it looks at, at the subject matter and slices it uh, in terms of what are the leadership hints I've got? What are the secrets in marketing? What are the secrets in sales? What about business, um, business success, which is really a deep dive in terms of, of the planning approach that I had to create for myself to move this company forward? And then there's a piece on careers. And so, you know, my experience has been very broad. I've had the fortune to be able to learn and and practice in basically every function of business, with the exception of CFO. And I <laughs> I didn't want that anyways. I had to do finances as president of a company. That was close enough for me. Mm -hmm. And so it has a very significant range for people. And so if you're a young professional saying, you know what, I'm stuck in my career. I just need some ideas. Great. This book is for you. If you're in marketing and you're wanting and you have a thirst for, for stepping out of the marketing 101 box, good. Check it out. If you're in sales and you think your job is to earn your quota, but you, but you know that life in sales has got to have a more longer term perspective, great. Check it out. And so it's meaningful and relevant, I hope, to basically anybody pursuing a career and anybody in business, any entrepreneur that is, is really looking for where do I start? I got a really good message for entrepreneurs in terms of where to start because I've worked with a lot of them and a lot of them make some fundamental mistakes that end up uh, costing them dearly in the first three or four years. They die like the carnage on the road for most startups. And so it's a pretty significant road to go. And I think my book and my experience can help. That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, I was I was on your website and uh, for, for the book and um, I was looking over and it said the, the organization's a business plan must be focused on how to execute and must clearly define an unmatched competitive position. Um, so what is an unmatched competitive position? Yeah. And so let me just talk a little bit about this because it's kind of like a segue from our, our previous conversation about differentiation in the world. 
my observation is that um, most organizations, when, when confronting the challenge to define what makes them special, typically rely on what I would call claptrap. These are words like better and best and number one and market leader, which quite frankly, Al, don't mean anything to customers. They're not believable, okay? But they're easy. They're lazy marketing. Or they rely on aspirations. You're like, we're in business to save the home planet. We, be, we believe in inclusivity. Well, good for you. The reality is that may be important for the value of your organization, but it's not particularly helpful to a customer that's trying to make a decision among competitors of who to give their business with. Because you know what? Everybody talks about inclusion. Everybody talks about the environment. So that's not special. And then the third thing is, I find that, that, that the attempts to, to define specialness these days are just riddled and dripping with narcissism, okay? Like it's all about the individual and that's the wrong thing. I mean, brands are not about you. They're about them. They're about what you do in a special way that appeals to other people. And so in the face, and, and by the way, universal selling propositions are just laden with claptrap uh, aspirations and, and narcissism. And so uh, what I've done is I've created a solution to that. And it's a real simple solution. And it works because I've done it myself. I work with clients on it. And it's called, you don't want merely to be the best of the best. You want to be the only one who does what you do. And so what I've done is created this little tool called what I call the only statement. And it's really simple. It goes like this. We are the only ones who do such and such. We're not better. We're not best. We're not number one. We're the only. So the focus is on being the only one. Now, the interesting thing is only is a binary expression of uniqueness. It either exists or it doesn't. It can be observed. It can be measured. And so when you just declare that you're the only one, get ready to be called on it because people can see it. Right? They can believe it. They know whether it's true. They know whether it's relevant as opposed to the better and best. Who knows? Who knows who defines it? You know, who, who is the custodian of best and perfect? You know, it's a joke, quite frankly. I, I, I just I think it's a repugnant, intellectually dishonest way to approach the whole issue of differentiation. The only statement gets the kids off the block, Al, because it exposes you and it opens you up right to observation and conclusion. And so uh, part of the planning process that I've had to, I've created makes the only statement an integral part of answering the question, how are you going to compete and win? Because the answer to that question is all about how do you intend to differentiate yourself from everybody else around you? Okay. So it, it's a, uh, it's a very unique. And by the way, I mean, it's really caught on. I mean, when I work with clients and actually start to do this work with them, the first thing they typically say to me was, well, Roy, we, you know, we're not special in anything, right? And I say, well, <clears throat> you may think that you're not special, but let's do the work and we'll find out what you need to be special at to make you grow and win. And that's the end game that, that we're really looking at here. So it is extremely important. I mean, your, your show is all about business growth. Well, I got news for you. If you're not different, you're, you're dead. You, you have no growth prospects at all. And the way to get there is through the only statement. That's awesome. That's beautiful. And, and that, uh, that's, a, um, that's a great way to uh, you know, go about it. And, and the way you explained it is awesome. 
you know, because I hear a lot, of, you know, being in the business world is, you know, you need to be a category of one and, you know, all these different statements, but I don't hear anything about how to do that or, how, you know, how to back it up or anything mm -hmm. like that, you know, and, and like you said, it's all these different statements that everybody else is making, you know, so how does that make you a category of one, you know? And well, you know, in a way, and I, I don't mean to, to beat up this concept, but I think one of the examples that that resonates with me is the whole search for the blue ocean. Mm -hmm. Okay. The blue ocean in theory is a wonderful place to be. The reality is though, Al, most of us mere mortals, we will have to fight it out in red, in red oceans. Yeah. Okay. Red oceans with intense competition, fickle customers, regulations that change every day. Forget about the blue ocean. I need to make it in a red ocean. I'm a red ocean guy. Okay, I'm a guy that understands, Al, that you're fighting for your life in a red ocean, and I can help you. I can help you with simple little things like the only statement, which is the answer to how the heck do I be one of one? That's the answer, right? And the reason I know it works is because I got a billion dollars in annual sales out of this approach. And every client that I've worked with goes away just starstruck over the simplicity of the idea. Okay. And it takes work obviously to get it, but if we can talk if you want. I mean, I do plans for, for small businesses in 48 hours and in the 49th hour, they're executing it. Nobody else does that. Nobody else even understands how to do that. Right. Um, and so I know it works and it resonates. And the other cool thing is Al, people have fun doing the work. They have fun doing the work. That's awesome. That, that, that's, that's really, really cool. And um, so, so it's cool that, you, that you're, you know, you, you have the passion behind it, not just to write the books, but to actually help people. That, that's super awesome because I'm sure that's that speeds up the, you know, their their process and their their growth and scalability. That's beautiful. Um, so I was looking. So, so uh, another statement that I read on the website was a customer service must be memorable and designed to take the customer's breath away. So what are some simple things that can be done to improve customer experience? And this, by the way, I like customer service, like in business for me is almost everything, you know, besides, besides having, you know, the best product and service kind of a thing, you know, like taking care of the people, you know, just, you know, um, just wholeheartedly, you know, without worrying about money or anything else, you know, just, just taking care of them until there's, uh, that, that that's what's brought me along in business. Well, it, and it's a great question. And, and I guess I approach it as you would expect, probably by now, I approach it rather differently than, than most people do it because in order to create uh, whether you call them memorable experiences, I actually, I actually coined this, this phrase, I, I call them gasp worthy experiences, right? In terms of breathless, it's gasp worthiness is really the, the end game. But I've created this context uh, of a service, a strategy model, okay, that it was really helpful for me. Now, a service strategy in my world can consists of two elements. The first element is core service. And look, at that's basically what you supply. That could be your product, could be your service. But it's, it's fundamental at the fundamental level. Without a core service, you don't have a business, okay? Now, the interesting thing about core service, though, is it's not a source of loyalty because people expect the boat to float. 
People expect the internet stream to work. People expect your curve, your core service to meet the requirements that you promised 24 seven, 365. And if you do, guess what they say? Good. That's what I expected. So you're not really advancing, right? The loyalty meter by spending a whole lot of time on your core service, other than one simple thing. You have to get it right, seamless, 24 7, 365. Because if you don't do that, then you, you will not have any rights to the service experience game. So the experience is based on your core service being delivered immaculately every time out. And so for those of you listening and want to get into the service experience business, forget it if you can't deliver core service immaculately 24 7 365 go work on that fix that then we'll go to the second element of the service strategy which is basically the service experience in a really simple way think about a service experience is how people feel when they get their core service so it's all about feelings right you may think you can measure this right on the inside by by all these data systems so i got news for you it's rather challenging without asking somebody how they feel to measure how people feel. Okay, now this is all about an experience piece um, that really relates more to the culture of the organization and the values of the organization than it does to the product and services, right? Because you've already delivered a boat that floats, all right? So now the challenge is how can I create an experience around that engagement process to make the customer's breath go away to make them say, oh my God, wow, right? To be absolutely starstruck and dazzled. And look at the very first place. I know people are going to say, oh, wow, how can you? The very first thing you have to do, Al, is you have to hire people that like human beings. I know this is really sort of a mind-blowing conclusion, but it's pretty hard to dazzle anybody if the person you're dealing with doesn't like humans and doesn't want to engage with humans who would rather be taking inventory, who would rather be writing coding, right? In other words, anything but having to deal with that, oh, that customer. And yet you will never be able to provide dazzling service experiences unless you hire the right people who are born with this innate desire to serve others. Okay. And so, um, you know, other than that, that's the starting pace. I'm not a tactical guy, all right? I, I know I read all sorts of the same stuff you do about service experiences and using, you know, different FAQs and AI and all this stuff. I don't believe in any of that stuff because it's tactical. If you do not have a culture, all right, that is built to serve other humans, then forget about doing anything experiential in a way that dazzles people. So I want to take you back into that world and get that right before you start to explore other this, this other stuff, which is kind of gee whiz, sexy, boom, boom, tactical stuff. And I'm not putting that down, but I'm saying you need to have relevance around it. And it's called a, a culture of serving people. And, and so uh, the, the sorts of things that I would do is I would hire for goosebumps. I would cleanse the inside. I would kill dumb rules. I would cut the crap. I would do all those sorts of things as part of a tactic built into a culture of absolutely uh, servant leadership and, and serving people in a way that nobody else does. 
And, and the interesting thing to me is there's another element. It's called, do you really have a strategy when you screw a customer over? It's called service recovery. Everybody makes mistakes. And yet few realize that if you recover well, you actually, you actually build customer loyalty. The customer forgets about the fact you made a mistake and they're just absolutely blown away by the way you recovered from it. Right. And so service recovery is a big piece of my work. Very few organizations have built a service recovery strategy and it blows me away as to why not. Oh, wait a minute. I know why. Because everybody's trying to do it right the first time. Okay, that's a good objective. Well, let's realize sometimes you won't. And if you understood the power to building loyalty through service recovery, why wouldn't you have a strategy? I mean, hell, we had we had a service recovery strategy in the business. Okay, admitting that we're going to make a mistake and leveraging that fact, we call it turning an oops into a wow, leveraging that fact into uh, actions that actually enabled the customer to be the best referral agents ever. And it was all based on customer complaints. And so the experience thing is just to kind of rephrase it and recap it. Get your core service right. Hire human being lovers. Uh Put a hiring for goosebumps process in there. And if you don't know what that is, check out. I got a million blogs that talk about this because I've been doing this since 09. Make sure the rules and policies in your company enable people to do business with you, not piss them off. And lastly, get rid of the crap that prevents frontline people from taking care of customers and admit that you're going to make a mistake and develop a service recovery strategy. It's fun to do. That's awesome. Yeah. And, um, and I like that you said that you um, lay out the fact that you need to have a business with substance that that delivers first, and then to be able to build that customer experience off of. Because so many uh, people forget about that, <laughs> or, or they just bypass that because they don't because they don't have it. Just like you know, hey, Al, that's that's a great that's a great. Thank you for that comment. It's a great comment, and it it speaks to what we've been talking about here. It's because the flavor of the month. Okay, is the service experience. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's got their own vanilla flavor, chocolate, flavor, whatever, their own flavor of how to do it. Okay, but they fail to realize unless the basics of the business are healthy, you won't dazzle anybody. I mean, how could you possibly? It doesn't matter what you do, right? What you do with a client who have, you have just screwed over because you were 15 days late, right, on delivering their boat. 15 days late in providing them a, a, an internet uh, high-speed upgrade that they needed to run their business. You promised them and you, you broke your promise. You can't dazzle anybody when you break your promise on your core service. So let's get back to basics. I know you just want to get off and do the sexy shit, but you can't win that way, guys. You got to go back to the boring humdrum basics of creating value and health within your business. That's where this all starts. Trust me. You got to start there. You got to do the work. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's called building a foundation, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, yeah, it's it's a it's a, so um, uh, yeah. So this this information that you're providing is so super valuable. I hope the people listening, you know, like un, un, understand and, and embrace it. Not, I'm sure they'll understand it, but like, you know, embrace it and and put it into their, you know. In, into their business because it, it it could be life changing, right? So um, the uh, one thing real quick is like 
by it seems like by following these kinds of principles you could like almost choose like who, who your who your customer is or or at least um i get like in my uh arena i get be able to get the higher end customers you know that that uh because because that's what they're looking for you know is, is substance and and experience and all these different things you know um is that true well, I, I, yes, it is true, but I will rephrase it for you um, if you will allow me. Um, growth in any business, okay, requires strategic context. Mm -hmm. it, it goes back to just the essence of what, what I've been talking to you about uh, in the last 24 minutes and 53 seconds. Okay, it's, it's strategic context. What I mean by that is a lot of people would say you need a business plan. A lot of people would say that, okay, I had to create what I call a strategic game plan that allowed me to define the context that I was working within. And that context then drove everything. It drove every marketing program. It drove the differentiation strategy. It drove customer communications. It drove the service strategy. So let me just explain. So this, the, the strategic game planning process, I call it, I can do with any client in uh, 48 hours, and it's made by answering three questions. And you have to go through the process. The first question is, how big do you want to be? That's a question about top line revenue. So if you're at a million today, for example, my question is in 24 months, not five years, don't believe in five-year plans. The fourth year never shows up, Al. We all know that. And if you want something that's built to execute, you have a shorter time horizon. Okay. And for those people that say that's short-sighted, they're right. And if you want to talk to me about why that being short-sighted is a strategy that's worth following, we can talk about that too. 24 months, do you want to be 5 million? Do you want to be 2 million? The reason we start off with the question is that the answer to that defines the character of the strategy. Because if you only wanted to double revenues, that will lead a certain strategy. If you wanted to five times your revenue, that's going to be a completely different strategy, right? You follow me? That's why you start off with the numbers. The numbers drive the strategy. Now, nobody else does this, Al. Everybody else develops a strategy and then they come up with a bunch of assumptions. Then they figure out what the financial implications are. Then they decide that the, those, those financials aren't good enough, right? You're, you're nodding. Then they go back, change the assumptions without changing the strategy. How freaking insane is that? So first question is, how big do you want to be? And it needs to make you perspire. Like if you know how to get there, then the number isn't audacious enough. And so I keep pushing people and say, well, can you make 2 million? Oh yeah. Okay. It's not big enough. Can you make 4 million? And I can start to see the beads of sweat on their forehead. I know I'm getting close <laughs> to the right answer of how big, but let's suppose we decided, okay, we're going to get 5 million in top line revenue in 24 months. Second question, who do you want to serve? That's a question about where are you going to get the money? This gets to the question you just asked. The who to serve is all about defining customer groups as targets who have the latent potential to deliver the how big that you've just decided you want. Okay. So no, it's not the market. And no, it's not what you think you have. It's what you need to have to drive your growth goals. So you see the connection? Mm -hmm. You can't do the who work without doing the how big work because they're too inextricably tied. So you decide on, and obviously the fewer number of customer groups, the better. Why? Fast and easy is important in 24-month planning. You don't have time 
to have a 24-month selling cycle when you need to get the run rate or your revenues up fast to get to where you need to get to in 24 months. And so let's say you, you have three segments and you decide, okay, these are the customer groups we're going to go after. Okay, the, the second piece of work on that is to decide on and discover what they crave. So here's this is really a deep dive in each one of those segments about what do they crave? What are their secrets? What do they lust for? What do they covet? What do they desire? It's got nothing to do about what they need. Okay. Everybody else competes in the need space. I want you guys to compete in the craving space. Why? Because it's not price sensitive. And secondly, there's no competitors there. And so we come up with cravings. That takes us to the third and final question. How do you intend to compete and win? Just generally? No. In terms of the who segments and the cravings that you just identified. And this is where you create the only statement now is within the answer to the third. This is where you have a chance to be the only one, okay, who does what you do in terms of satisfying what the who craves. So you can see how all that fits together. That's the context. That's the beginning. So any entrepreneur out there, any business owner who wants to get something different going on in their business, take a step back. Or if you're an entrepreneur starting a business, take a step forward. Let's have a conversation around strategic game planning. Are you trying to tell me you can't, you can't spend two days on your business? Come on. You can't afford not to spend two days on your business. So this process um, is intended to, to encourage execution. That's why it's built the way it is. It's not, it's not built to satisfy the left side of your brain. It's not built to satisfy the intellect because the intellect, quite frankly, as we all know, doesn't do anything. All right. Pondering doesn't do anything. And so we needed I needed a planning system that that facilitated execution. OK, because the market was changing on me quickly. It was growing quickly. And I just needed a piece of that right away. And so this really helped. me. I get goosebumps when I think about this. It helped us right away to get going. We weren't a step behind. We were a step ahead of the people who were employing traditional planning techniques, taking them five months and probably $150,000 to create. And Roy was way out in front using his head west strategy with an only statement. Boom. That's so awesome. You know, and, and you articulate that very well. And I, the, one of the things I love about your process is that it's um, it's intended to speed up, you know, the the time to value and the time to, you know, um, profit for the business. And then also, like everything is like right away. We, we these are things we could implement in a matter of days and not weeks or months. That, that, that's that's so very very important, you know, especially yeah, I, for younger businesses that are that are cash strapped, you know. Yeah, exactly right. Now, now the, the the arguments I get are, well, wait a minute, that you're that short term thinking, Roy. You know, you're not thinking about the long term. And I go, are you? Are you trying to tell me that you can forecast <laughs> what, what five years looks like? Are you trying to tell me that you know you are wise enough to know what's going to happen in ten years? Like I understand you got a ten year strategy, which doesn't mean dick to me. And it yeah. won't mean anything in terms of maybe a banker that's interested in extrapolation and regression analysis, but it won't mean anything 
to a business. So the people that believe in the longer term <laughs> stuff, what they're really saying, and, and they're couching it under under words like, you know, you, you need to be long term thinking, but they're not able to understand or they're not willing to understand that long term thinking is a function of short term achievements. You can quote me on that. I've never said that before. It's a function of short term achievements and learning along the way where the long term lives, because we're not smart enough today, Al, to know where we're going to end up five years from now. All we know is, I think, I think the opportunity is to head west. All right, let's build a plan around heading west. Let's start executing some stuff. Let's learn from that stuff. And let's modify our head west strategy on the run. So I call it planning on the run. Lots of content on my website talking about this. And it's all based on do it, learn, do it, execute, learn. Plan, execute, adjust, plan, execute. So you get yourself into a do loop and you keep doing that. And guess what? Eventually, Al, you discover that, okay, if I started out in New York City, I really am going to end up, I'm ending up in Vancouver as opposed to Seattle. And I never would have guessed at the very beginning of this journey that that was going to be the end result. And no kidding, nobody is able to do that. How can you perfect a forecasting system in an imperfect, stochastic, uh, constantly changing, uncertain, random world. Like I know, because my, my, my degree is in math, I know how to do a least squares fit, right, on a bunch of data. That's not what I'm talking about, right? That's just the way to approximate something. And the problem with that is if you actually believe it's true, you're going to lead yourself to a wrong conclusion. I'm talking about doing stuff, executing stuff, learning as you go, adjusting your sights. That's the only way to make meaningful progress. And quite frankly, in my experience, the only way to grow a business. There's, and it's hard work. There's no other way. That's awesome. Yeah, and yeah, and uh, that, that evil word, huh? hard work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right on. It so, is um, hard yeah, work. Yeah. And the, that planning on the run, you know, sort of reminds me of a, a mentor I had a long time ago. And she, she would always say, we're going to build the plane as we fly it, you know? So that's, um, that's sort of it, right? That's, that's sort of it. Now, like good, good on her. I mean, I mean, that's wise. That level of thinking is wise because the world has been taught not to do that. The world has been taught to formularize everything. The world has been taught to AI is uh, everything. Okay, as opposed to the good old fashioned, have a go, see what worked, right? What worked good, we're going to cultivate and nurture that. What didn't work, we're going to fix it and we're going to move on, right? Like the interesting thing to me is I discovered people in, in my organization, they love the journey. They love to do that because it gave them a piece. It gave them some control, right? By substituting right? A human-based function with artificial intelligence is actually retrogressive in my, in my world. I mean, there are mm. some academics around that think that's a cool thing to do. Good. Good. I'm not disparaging that. But in terms of a business leader, I want engagement, Al. I want engagement. I want, a, I want their hearts, their souls, their feet, their elbows, their wrists. I want it all engaged in the journey. I want them hooked I want them to have the virus running around in them. 
about where we're going. That's a virus I want to spread. I don't want them substituted by an algorithm that crawls the internet and grabs what people believe to be the best of the best and morphs it together where everybody's identity has been lost. Everybody's voice has been lost. Don't want that. I don't believe in it. I, I, I mean, technology for technology's sake is what we're talking about here. And that gets me back to the tactical conversation we had earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't denigrate technology, but if you don't have a strategic context within which it's used, you have nothing. You're just chasing what I call yummy. It's yummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, yeah, there's been so many like, you know, nuggets and insights that you've uh, shared with us. I really appreciate that. And you you mentioned like the um, the 48 hour you know plan that you have and stuff like that. So what what does it look like to work with you? Yeah, so what I do is uh, is I will get the uh, the organization, and by the way, it can be any organization. Al, this works. This works on for profits. It works. I've done work with not for profits. Clearly, the units are different, um, but but the essence of the strategy and the direction and and so forth is the same. So what I do is I get the I get the leadership team of the organization in a room. There's no subject matter experts. <laughs> I want the leader and the people who are accountable. For the results in a room it could be one person i've had that situation or it could be two or three and i've had situations in larger organizations where we've had an executive team of of 10 people which from my point of view gets a bit of a challenge but nevertheless we get we get the job done so we get them in the room i kind of explain the the ground rules and one ground rule is the ceo okay has the same amount of authority on the decision as everybody else in the room because I use what we call an understand and agree process. All right. Where if we reach a decision making point, I go around and ask each individual in the room, understand and agree, understand. Yep. Agree. Yep. And if anybody even blinks, we stop. So it's really important that we get unanimity. Okay. On every decision. And the, whereas the CEO's direction, of course, influences the way I work with the team, they still, okay, have to convince somebody who says, no, I don't agree. And so the team building aspect of this, Al, is really, really a sight to behold. People walk out and they got their back slapping and they're, they're, they're closer than they ever were before. And so we go through the process and I've got an, an agenda and I, I'm, I'm not a facilitator, okay? Like by now, you know, I'm a content provider. So, I mean, what I do is I, I nudge the team towards where I think they need to go just based on my experience and my stuff. And look at, and I, I have to convince them that it makes sense to do the only work. And sometimes we have to reframe their business. And I have to convince them that, that that's a place that, that they should go in their journey. But yeah, we get it done. We get the strategic plan nailed down. I call it a strategic game plan statement. And then we spend a lot of time coming up with specific objectives and accountabilities. What are the key things that we need to do to breathe life into this puppy? Not a million to do uh, to-do list things. But what are the critical few, not the possible many? And that's an interesting conversation because it forces you to focus. And one of the biggest challenges an entrepreneur has is they lack focus a lot, right? So getting people used to focusing on the critical few and not chasing after things that might be fun and might be possible, that's a bit of a challenge. And so we get the the strategic plan statement. We get a list of objectives in terms of here's what has to be done by whom, by when. And then we wrap it and we get that done in 48 hours 
And uh, typically what I will do is try and convince the team that we should have a, a review every two to three months of the SGP and talk about what's working, what's not working. Because at the end of the day, I mean, if the world changes dramatically, that might require a change in direction. And so we need to be online with what's going on in order to be able to accommodate that. The last thing we want to do is be chasing a strategy that's no longer relevant. And the way to do that is stay in touch with each other, stay in each other's faces all the time. And I make myself available. I'm kind of like I'm I'm Roy online with with the executive team, helping them and answering questions and and so forth. And uh, yeah, that's the process. But we get it done in two days. That's awesome. That, that's beautiful. Is there um, one uh, like big idea or takeaway that people should take from this episode? Yeah, you need to be the only ones who do what you do. Okay, you forget about everything else. Do the work on the strategic game plan. Figure out how big you want to be, who you want to serve and what they crave and how you're going to compete and win by being the only one that does what you do. If you can do that piece of work, then you will be well on underway. Forget about what they're saying about social media. Forget about all the tactical stuff. Get the hard work done. As you said, the platform, the framework, the foundation work, get it done. I just come at it a unique way. I can help you get a framework in 48 hours, whereas other people cannot do that. I'm the only one that does what I do there. So that's what I would say. That's awesome. That's beautiful. So you obviously practice what you preach, right? <laughs> I try. That's awesome. So, well, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. Uh, what's the best way for people to follow you or get a hold of you? Sure. I have a website, bedifferentorbedead.com, and I try and blog regularly. And so there's a lot of content on everything we talked about today, as well as other stuff. Uh, there's a page on my seven books if you're interested in exploring those, and you can order them directly on the site or you can go to your favorite uh, book uh, uh, purchasing uh, destination to do that. And then I've got a um, I've got a thoughtful remarks page, which I try and capture what other people say about what we what we do together, which might be interesting. And then I've got an email. My email address is roy.osing at gmail.com. And and now I'm happy to have a conversation with somebody. I get I get emails from people going, hey, Roy, heard you on the blah, blah podcast. Here's my only statement. What do you think? I love that. That's just great. It's a great way to start a relationship. It's a great way to, to start a conversation in it. I feel good because I've made a difference in somebody's thought process. And now they're testing it out for them. Because as I said earlier, I don't wish, wish to be a, a prescriptive here. I have no right to be. What I'm trying to do is share. Share ideas that work for me. And, and hopefully others will will uh, will decide to try them out and 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 experience how they can work for them that's awesome that's beautiful so we'll be sure to include uh, your, your links in the show notes below the episode for sure so and thank you again for coming on the show you're very welcome i'm honored to have been asked believe me awesome awesome so that concludes this episode of podcast marketing secrets this is al Morenton signing off i hope you have a successful day